you doing? Great, hasn't it been great so far? Ah, uh, yeah, great. Well, hopefully, hopefully it won't go down from here. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't mean that. It's great to see you. We're going to continue with a series that we started, that Paul started last week, which is called Walking with Jesus, um, and with the subtitle Money, Sex, and Power. Um, that's a fairly full-on title. And uh, I'm just giving you advance notice that in two weeks' time, um, if you have younger ones in here, you might not want them to be in here uh, during the talk. That's all I want to say about that. But um, these, are, these are all key issues. These are key issues in our culture. The issues of money, sex, and power. They're, main, they're some of the main areas in which the Bible's teaching really stands out from what the rest of society kind of says. You know, God's standards on money, sex, and power are massively countercultural, and how we deal with them is essentially what makes is essentially what makes Christians live in a different way, a radical and different way to the rest of the world. That's why each of these areas has such potential pitfalls and also such incredible potential blessing if we can get them right. Each of them are so powerful, and so we're spending three weeks on money. Then we're going to spend three weeks talking about sex. Uh, then we're going to have a little break uh, in June and come back to the power bit towards the end of June. But anyway, last week, Paul introduced the topic of money, um, did a brilliant job, and I'm going to focus on that for the next couple more weeks. If you are visiting today, and particularly if you are somebody who doesn't normally go to church, I'm really sorry that you've come on the day that we're talking about money, because it's kind of um, it's one of those things, isn't it? Oh, the, you know, they're always talking about money in the church. I can vouch, I can promise you that it isn't the case that we always talk about money here. Those of you who come regularly will know that. Um, however, we do want to talk um, about how it is that we walk with Jesus, which is what we're called to do as disciples, in the area of finances, in the area of our money. And um, Paul, last week, kicked this subject off and talked about stewardship and generosity. And he highlighted two different verses. One um, with regards to stewardship was this in Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. In a biblical sense, we actually don't own anything ourselves. We're stewards of what is God's, what is God's world, what is God's money, what is God's resources, and we are stewards of that. That's what we're called to do. We're called to partner with him and steward what he gives us. And then the other verse that Paul um, highlighted was this from Proverbs, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. There is something about generosity that is in the heart of God and that he expects and imprints on each of us. If God has given us everything we need and made us in his image, then we should also reflect that generosity in all we do. And that will have an impact. And we're going to talk a bit more about that today. But first, I want you to watch this video. Um, because as Paul was talking, it reminded me about this video, which I've been saving up for about six or nine months to show you. And I suddenly remembered last Sunday night, oh, we're going to show this video. So this is a guy called J. John. He's a fantastic preacher. And he just tells a little story, which kind of pretty much sums up Everything Paul had to say last week. Have a look at this. You might want to pop that. Can somebody pop the, these lights off at the front for me as well? One of my favorite stories is of the man who's at an airport and he wants to buy a coffee and a bag of very small donuts. So he buys his coffee, buys his donuts. He's looking for somewhere to sit, but all the tables, they're all taken. There's one table where there's one man sitting. He thinks, I know, I'll go and sit opposite him. So he goes to the table, he puts his coffee down, he puts his bag down, he puts his coat around the chair, he sits in the chair. Oh, 
picks up the coffee, has a little sip, picks up the bag of donuts, opens it, takes out the donut, starts eating it, puts the bag down. The man opposite stretches over, picks up the bag of donuts, takes out a donut, starts eating it, puts the bag down, smiles. <laughs> the other man can't believe what he has just seen. What is the world coming to? He doesn't know what to say, so he gives him one of these if looks could kill looks. He picks up the bag of donuts, he takes out another donut, he moves it to the edge of the table. He turns sideways. Body language resistance, he's reading his paper. The man opposite stretches over, <laughs> picks up the bag of donuts, takes out a donut, starts eating it, puts the bag down, he smiles again. The other man cannot, he's in shock. But he thinks maybe the man's not quite there. You know, the elevator doesn't go to the top. You don't know. You know, he's a banana short of a fruit bowl. You just don't know. The man got up to leave. So the other man thought, well, it's about time you left, you donut thief. Looks at his watch. He goes, oh, it's time for me to go. He gets up, he puts his coat on, he bends down to pick up his bag and sitting on top of his bag was his bag of donuts. <laughs> he was complaining that the other man was stealing his donuts, but the truth was the other man was sharing his donuts. Listen. Listen, God owns all the donuts. It's great, though, isn't it? I just think it sums up so beautifully how we can, so, we can get our attitude to money so desperately wrong sometimes. You know, we think the money is ours and that we might just share a bit of it or spare a bit of it to others or back to God. In fact, it isn't ours at all. And everything we have, as Paul said last week, belongs to the Lord. Think about how generous the second guy was. I mean, he's sharing his donuts with a guy who's acting pretty outrageously <laughs> towards him and purely out of self-interest. And I just wonder if God ever has that feeling about us sometimes. Here we are just trying to hold on to what we've got. And yet it's all his anyway. And we'll never outgive him. We can never outgive the giver no matter how hard we try. And, and, and do you know what, guys? I'm not doing this talk because we're desperate for money, okay? This is a church that is a community of generous givers. You guys are regular, faithful, consistent givers. As a church uh, family, we've been responsive to mission, and we've resp been responsive to compassion, and we've res been responsive to vision. I count it, Joe and I count it as a real privilege to be part of a church where people are so generous with their money and their time and their energy, for the benefit of others in service and in worship to God. People who are not believers, you know, they come, they often ask me. So, you know, I'm trying to explain to somebody who doesn't really get church, trying to explain what I do and who we are and what, how, how it operates. And they say, so, so how are you funded? How, how's your church funded? And they assume that there's some kind of charitable or grant funding going on. Uh, one guy, we did a car wash, and one guy came in here, and he just looked around the place and went, are you guys government funded? <laughs> I said, no, we're really not. Um, and there's no grant funding and there's no centralized pot of money either, like perhaps some churches might have. We're entirely reliant on what people in this church give 
and what God does with that money. And so for the rest of this talk this morning, I want to look at this question. Why do we give to the local church? Why is it that we're supposed to do that? What does the Bible say? You know, we gather here and we pass around this offering basket every week. And if you're not used to that, it might seem a little bit quaint and out of date and a bit sort of religious. I don't know. You know, and not much goes in because, as Chris said, you know, most of it gets given behind the scenes anyway and through the bank system. But this is a really important part of our worship because whether we actually put money physically in the basket or whether we pay in some other way, this is all about us putting our money where our mouth is. And there are three reasons, three points that I want to talk about this morning about why it is that we give regularly to the local church, why that's a good idea, why the Bible says it's a good idea. And the first one is this, that regular giving is a basic sacrifice. When we give regularly, we demonstrate that we are living our lives for someone else. We're taking the focus off ourselves and our stuff and our comfort and our satisfaction, and we're putting it somewhere else. When we give regularly to God, it's a way, as I said, of literally putting our money where our mouth is. If we've made a decision that our life is actually not our own, then it makes sense that that gets demonstrated with our resources. I mean, if you value a relationship of any kind, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you something. Whether it's time or energy or money, if you value something or someone, it is going to hit you. Some, at some point, it's going to hit you in the pocket. You know, I was having a great relationship um, with Joe. It wasn't costing me too much until we decided to get engaged. And then my commitment to her as a, as a young single guy um, on a freelance income, like Pete was talking about, because I was a freelance musician, all of a sudden I have to save up a load of money for a ring. You know, it cost me something. It was well worth it, darling. <laughs> Never look back. Um, relationships require sacrifice of time and energy and money. It's the same if you've got children. You'll know. You know, that they, well, that will hit you in the pocket, you know, and it's the same with God. Jesus puts it really succinctly, actually, um, in Matthew 6. He says, um, I'll, that's a summary, but the, the, the verse, Matthew 6, 24, says, No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. It isn't possible to put two things at the center of your life. One has to serve the other. Often in church, you might hear the word tithing. A tithing comes from the Old Testament. It's a principle which we read about in the Old Testament. Actually, it, was even around, it, was a, it wasn't just in Israel. It was around kind of all ancient practices. But it's one that the people of God grasped hold of, and it's part of the law. And this principle of tithing is where God's people, basically, they were, they, they were growing stuff. They were agricultural. And so... They literally, the first 10% of what they grew, the crops, would be brought to the temple and offered to God as a sacrifice. Before they'd even harvested the rest, they'd harvest the first 10%, put it, put it before God, literally give away the first fruits, the first crops of the harvest. They did that as a sign of their thankfulness for God's continued and ongoing blessing and for the blessing of harvest. In reality, what happened to that food, those crops, that resource, is that it went to the priests in the temple where it helped facilitate worship by providing for the priests, by maintaining the buildings and the premises, and by making sure that there was enough to meet the needs of the poor in the community. In J. John's language, in fact, I've seen another version of that talk where he goes on to say, it's like this, everybody has 10 donuts. And God says, give one to the church. There you are. 
give one to the church. Okay? Now, it was part of the culture back in the day. In fact, it was part of the law. It was part of the religious law. And God's people could get pretty legalistic about it as well. There's a verse in Matthew 23 where Jesus criticizes the Pharisees for getting their priorities wrong. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law, hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. He says, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. That just, that's, a, that's a little insight into what's going on there. Jesus doesn't tell them it's wrong to tithe, to give 10% of everything, literally down to their herbs and spices. He doesn't say that's wrong, but he says you do that, but you've got some other things way out of line. So the New Testament never talks specifically about the tithing thing, about the 10% thing. Though for anybody who followed Jesus, it would have been there in their cultural psyche. It would have been there in the background, part of their cultural practices. Jesus' teaching on money seems to go much further beyond that. He emphasizes the principles of stewardship and generosity. He never talks about specific amounts or percentages. Jesus, in fact, says it's like this. I don't know if you can read that, but this is from Luke 12. And it says, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who's been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Jesus seems to be expecting that what we're going to do is we're going to look at what we've got and we're going to be as generous as we can with it. And if we've got more, then we'll be able to be more generous. Paul, in his teaching in Romans, goes even further than that and says the only appropriate response to God's love and mercy for us is to sacrifice everything. Sacrifice, he says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is your true and proper worship. That's offer everything. That includes our money. Giving of ourselves and giving, therefore, of our resources is part of our worship of God. It's not just about giving money to the church. It's about living a life of sacrifice where our actions consistently demonstrate this truth that we speak out with our mouths, which is that we're not just in this for ourselves, we're in this for something bigger than ourselves, someone bigger than ourselves. So consistent, regular giving demonstrates a whole-of-life dependency on God. It's not really about the amount. It's about the heart. Do you get me? My suggested approach, my suggested approach, if you want one, is that you have a, vague, a figure of 10% in the back of our minds as a starting point, and then we just go to God. And if we can afford that, let's do it. And if we can't afford it, let's see what he suggests we afford. And if we can do more, then we'll go and do more. But use that as a guideline or as a starting point, but don't use it as a religious law, because that's not what Jesus' heart was. Do you, do you understand? In fact, Jesus says, don't do it, give anything unless you're going to do it cheerfully. He says this in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 9, sorry, Paul read this last week. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. So don't give it like, oh, okay, here you are, God. Okay, don't give it because someone's twisting your arm to do it. Do it cheerfully because you know that that's what God's telling you to do. And remember that when we do, something happens to us. And that's my second point. Regular giving leads, not only as a basic sacrifice, but regular giving leads to regular blessings. 
There's a principle in life, isn't there, that you reap what you sow. It's not just in the Bible, it's common wisdom. You know, we try and teach our kids, for example, you know, look, you need to treat people kindly and you can expect generally to be treated the same in return. You know, have you heard the phrase, be nice to people on the way up so that they'll be nice to you on the way down? Have you heard that one? And that, the verse before that one we just read in 2 Corinthians says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. And again, Jesus in Luke 6 says, give and it will will receive. Your gift will return to you in full measure, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. And there's one other verse I want to read to you, which is Malachi 3.10. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. This is in the Old Testament context, in that context of bringing the tithes in to make sure there's provision for the poor. And this is the crucial part. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there won't be enough room to store it. Now, this is important because in the rest of the Bible, there's a very clear instruction not to test God. You know, Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness and the devil says, oh, you should do this and you should do this. You know, test him. See if if you're really God. And Jesus says, don't put the Lord your God to the test. But in this verse and in this issue, God actually says, no, no, no. You test me and you see if I'm right. You give and I will bless. Now, let me make one thing clear. That blessing is not a financial blessing that's promised. God does not say, if you give money, more money will come to you. Although sometimes that really does happen. That is one of the ways that God blesses us. But that's not what's promised. This is not a wealth and prosperity gospel. I don't think you can find that stuff in the Bible, not without stretching, stretching it a long way. But this is talking about the blessings of God. We've just sung about them. You are good, you are good, you are good. And no matter how much we give, we will never outgive the God who is so good to us. He's the ultimate giver. I can vouch for this myself. Joe and I have tried to make this a principle by which we've always tried to live our lives. We've always given a proportion of our income to the church. We've often gone, tried to go over and above that to other organizations, but we've given a basic portion of our income regularly, consistently to the church. And then when other people have come along, I remember we were at a camp and we heard this guy speaking about his vision to work with street kids in Guatemala for a charity called Toy Box. It was just getting set up at the time. And we were just, we were both just, as we went up, I don't know how it happened. We ended up going to, somebody asked us to go and pray for him. So we went and prayed for him. We We were just really moved by the heart of God and have been giving to that ministry ever since. You know, other people that we've met who have really needed, uh, had a big vision and, and a need, and where we've been able to support that, we've, we've done that. Where we felt like God has told us to, we've gone over and above. And then church building projects, I'll talk about that a bit later. And also to individuals who are struggling or individuals who are just in need or somebody who just, you know, God said, you know, bless, bless them. Because we have been blessed in so many ways. We've been blessed by people who've done that for us. You know, we've never been rich, but we've always had a roof over our heads. You know, we've always had food and clothes. Our kids have been, had what they needed, health, friends, transport. I think I've said this before, but over our adult lives, I think we've been given seven cars. 
which is amazing. And once upon a time, I wrote a song, which has ended up earning us royalties. I never expected that would happen. And I didn't write the song to get royalties. I wrote the song because I wanted to help our kids connect with God. And something happened to that song, and the money is a blessing to us, and it continues to be a blessing to those we share it with. And then later on, we did receive a, we received a really significant inheritance as well after my parents died. And so we do the same thing. First thing we do, 10%, give it to the church, just without even thinking about it, really. It's just what we do. And then start to ask God, who else? What else? What else do you want us to do with this money? We know what some of it's for. It's to do some stuff with our house. But what else? How can we be generous? What are you saying, God? And we've been so, many, so blessed in so many ways. So this is a biblical principle that those who give will be blessed and will receive blessing. And the more you give, the more you'll receive. So simply, if you want to be blessed regularly, give regularly. Now, where's my book? I want to read you a little, cha- a little section from a book called Wellbeing. Now, this is not a Christian book, okay? This is a psychology study by a, an organization called Gallup who worked with many, many people. And it's a study they did into people's well-being, how much well-being people feel. In other words, how happy they are in their lives. And there's a whole bunch of things that they talk about, but there is a link between what you do with your money and how happy you feel. Let me just read you a little bit of this. A team of Harvard researchers, Harvard researchers surveyed people about their spending on themselves, their spending on others, and their happiness. And they found that the spending on oneself does not boost well-being. However, spending money on others does. And it appears to be as important to people's happiness as the total amount of money that they make. And then I'm just going to cut down to another one. Another experiment. The researchers tracked individuals through the course of a single day. Each study participant received an envelope containing either $5 or $20 and was asked to spend all the money by 5 o'clock that day. Participants were randomly assigned to either spend the money on personal items, to use it to buy a gift for someone else, or to give it to charity. The amount of money the participants were given had no relationship to their levels of happiness at the end of the day. Whether you had five or whether you had 20 was not an issue. It was how the money was spent that mattered. Once again, the participants who spent the money on a gift for someone else or who gave it to charity experienced a boost in well-being by the end of the day whilst people who spent the money on themselves didn't. Isn't that interesting? You know, there's one other uh, organization called CAP, Christians Against Poverty. They're an amazing charity, and they help people get out of debt. And although they're Christians, they will work with anyone, literally anyone. And they've built up a fantastic reputation over the years. And though they, they never force their religion or their faith, their Christianity, down anyone's throat, they're quite open about their Christian ethos when they go and help somebody. And often the people that they work with are really having some significant difficulties financially. Anyway, so as they're um, working with someone and getting their interest payments, stop trying to stop the, stop the red, letter, red bills and get their interest payments things and work out a new budget and a way of paying things back and a way of sorting things out, they strongly encourage the client, whatever the client's faith background or not, to give something away regularly even if it's down to a pound a week, you know? Because, and they do this simply because of this principle, that no matter whatever your circumstances are, no matter how tight it is, it's just a really good biblical principle to be a blessing to someone else. And it will have a difference, and it will have an impact on what you do. They don't enforce it. 
but they do strongly advise it. And they see God bless many of their clients to become completely debt-free within a matter of sometimes months, often within two or three years. Whatever that person's faith or background. So I want to be clear. I'm not saying that we should give money away freely when we're in debt ourselves. I'm not saying that. That wouldn't be sensible. It wouldn't be biblical. And I'm not saying if you're going to give to the church that you should do that in a way that makes you more in debt. Please don't do that. Don't hear me say that. We have to give out of what we have, not what we don't have. But I hope you can see there's a principle, a biblical principle going on here. And by the way, if you are struggling with money issues, there are people here who can help. And there are local organisations, CAP have local representatives, and so do another organisation called Frontline in our city who can help. Is that okay? So we've talked about regular giving being a basic sacrifice and leading to regular blessings. And the third point really is that regular giving represents a consistent commitment to God's local church. You see, there are often opportunities to give generously to charities or to Christian agent organizations or missionaries or anybody else you support. There are even sometimes opportunities to support projects here in church. We've a number of times come and said, we're going to do this. You know, you very generously gave to um, fund a, um, a van for compassion um, and a bunch of other things. Mission, mission stuff overseas. We help support um, Karis kids in Uganda. All of these are really worthy causes. And often those things attract our attention, and they do that for the right reasons. But there is something about giving faithfully on a consistent and regular basis to your local church that makes a really profound statement. And by the way, if you're visiting from another church today, please just take this, what I'm saying, and apply it to your own situation. If you do that, giving faithfully and giving consistently, you're basically saying, I'm in. We're in. We're part of this thing, and I'm committed to the vision of this church. I'm committed to what this church, this community is trying to do. I've said this line before. It's my own line. I didn't get it from anybody else, and I love it. If you buy into the vision, buy into the vision. Yeah? You see, regular financial commitment is one of the ways in which we as a church know whether people or not have bought in. You know, loads of people come here on Sundays from all kinds of different places and all kinds of different backgrounds. You know, some are visiting from elsewhere. Some are exploring their faith. Some are checking us out and wondering if they should join us. And of course, many would say that they are really committed members here. And whoever you are and wherever you've come from, you're entirely and incredibly welcome. And our hope and prayer is that you really connect with God while you're here for whatever reason. But as I said this week at the welcome meal, there's no sign-up procedure here. There's no formal membership. We don't do interviews. We don't do classes. We have what we call functional membership. And functional membership is about functioning as a member. What's that, I hear you ask? Well, functional membership, if you function as a member, there'll be four things that you'll be doing or working towards doing. One of them will be to come on Sunday and worship with us. Another one will be to join a small group, life group. Chris has already talked about that, and the new life group sort of menu will come out next week so that we can grow in friendship and faith. Another one is that we become a host. I'll explain what I mean. When you come here, you can either be a guest or a host. If you're a guest, you're very welcome. If you've decided that this is your church, then you need to become a host. Okay? Be part of welcoming others by joining a team, by helping to make church happen. If you're not a guest or a host, it's sort of in the middle ground, and it doesn't really work. 
Okay? If you've come and you're wanting to be part of this church, then become a host. And the fourth thing, and the other reason you do that, is you buy into the vision by giving your money. And if you do those things, then we will know that you're serious about following Jesus as part of this church community. We don't, I've said before, we don't have an in or an out. We don't have a, a line by which we say you've got to jump over this. But we do say the people who we will consider to be the members of this church are the people who are doing these things because from that we can see that they're actually trying to follow Jesus and wanting to be part of the community here for as little or long as you're here. And I believe if we do those things, then we will intentionally grow as disciples. Now, this isn't the church for everyone. If God is calling you to be in another church or if this isn't where you're at, that's absolutely great. But if you're part of Jesus, if you're part of this church and intentionally looking to grow as a disciple of Jesus, whether you've been here five minutes or 50 years, you know, one of the things that you'll do is you'll give regularly to the work of God. By the way, we already mentioned this, but the following Jesus course, which starts next Monday, is a great way to just find out a bit more about that. We'll be talking about some of these issues, what we believe, you know, why we believe things, certain things the way we do, why we're different from other churches. Not that we're into slagging off any other churches. We're not doing that. But just what's unique about how God's called us, who God's called us to be here and how you can get more involved in that. So if you've been here more than a few weeks and you've decided that you're a part of this church, then I encourage you to become a host, someone who welcomes others, joins a team, helps to facilitate the work of God here with your time and your energy and your money. So giving a proportion of our money to the local church regularly we're basically saying, this is my church, and I'm buying into the vision of Winchester Vineyard. And we really do have a big vision. We want to be radical disciples of Jesus who live out our faith passionately. We are looking to see positive change in and around the communities that we live and work in and socialize in. We don't just want to do the Christian thing over on the sidelines somewhere, have a happy time in church and get on with our lives and not bother too many people. That's not enough for me. I want to be like what Peter said, talking to people every day, whoever I come across, whoever I meet, and authentically being Jesus to them. We believe we have a life-changing message and the power of the kingdom of God. We carry the identity and the authority of Jesus everywhere we go. And we believe we can bring hope and life into every situation we find ourselves in. And you know what? People come here and they experience the love of God for themselves. And it changes them. And maybe that's your story. Transformation happens when people encounter God. Sometimes people don't actually come in this building, but they encounter God through neighbours, friends, colleagues, even strangers. Because, uh, because, some, because we have been out there being scattered servants and demonstrating the power of God. You know, we started an evening service because we want more people to have the opportunity to come and meet with God. And there are people all over this country and all over the world, actually, whose lives have been changed because at some time or other over the last 20 years, they met with God here in Winchester Vineyard. Because, or because someone from this church ministered to them. There are people who came here with their lives in a mess physically, emotionally, and spiritually, who've experienced the freedom that Jesus brings. It's had a direct impact on their lives. I was thinking about Lauren. She was here about a year ago. And she spoke about the church that she's planting in Cambridge. Now, Lauren had no Christian background, was converted as a student in Winchester 11 years ago, grew as a disciple of Jesus in this church for a couple of years, and then went on with her life and is now leading a vineyard church plant in Cambridge. Isn't that fantastic? 
And there are so many more. That's just one story. And do you know, there'll be people in heaven who weren't there because other than the work of this church and what God did here. It's not an understatement to say, I'm not trying to be dramatic, but I think there are people who would now be dead who are still alive because they've encountered Jesus here in one way or another. We've got a massive vision. Our groups are flourishing. Our kids and youth groups are bursting at the seams. You know, we've got these young people at DTI. We, <laughs> it's a good job. We haven't really got space for them upstairs. We're working on that. <laughs> there are children and young people who come to church here who grow in a safe and nurturing environment and develop a love and a passion for God, which takes them all the way into their adult years. We are directly influencing the next generation through our children's and youth work. And our compassion stuff is flourishing. You saw the video last week and in the e-press. There are people all over this city who experience the love of God through our storehouse or one of the associated ministries who simply wouldn't have managed if it hadn't have been for the intervention of the compassion work of Winchester Vineyard Church. Bill Hybels says the local church is the hope of the world. It's the God-ordained redemptive agency upon which the destiny of the entire world hangs. I don't think that's an understatement. I, I really believe that and take it very seriously. Our local and regional mandate and our vision is to grow and be fruitful, to reach more people, to impact more communities with the love and the hope of Jesus. And all of that requires money. It requires consistent money from faithful, generous givers who are living sacrificially and saying with their finances as well as with their time and energy, we are in. You know what, if we only give when we feel prompted or when we feel good about something, when, when our emotions are up or when there's some sort of special fundraising drive or, you know, when we've actually got the money, then we're not really showing commitment. We think we've got the money. We're not actually showing commitment to what God's doing here. We're kind of effectively saying we'll be there when we feel like it, when our emotions are stirred or when our bank balance is looking healthy. But this isn't the kind of commitment that Jesus makes to us. And it's not the kind of commitment he expects us to make to him. He talks about real sacrifice, real obedience, and real commitment involves long-term, consistent, faithful giving. That's a challenge, but it's also a massive blessing. And whatever is given to this church goes towards facilitating that vision. Giving regularly and consistently is really important because it helps us plan and deliver on what we've planned. So our budget for 2017, we've budgeted to give away about 12% of what is given to us. 5% of it goes to vineyard churches. That's like our tithe. That's the bit that we pay. It funds church health. It funds church development and training and church planting right across the movement and across the UK. And about another 7% of our income goes to projects which don't benefit us. You know, whether it's Caris Kids, Compassion, local ministries like Street Pastors or the Night Shelter or the Women's Refuge. In practical terms, after that, the rest of the money is spent here is mostly spent on staff costs, building maintenance, mortgage payments and some ministry expenses, all of which goes to facilitate the ministry that we do here, which has a direct impact on many lives. I mean, I was just looking at the figures, the 2015 figures. We haven't quite got the 2016 ones together yet, but 1,091, 1,091 people directly helped through our storehouse, 400 people served by our street teams. Over, we estimate over 12,000 volunteer hours donated in this church over a year. That's all of you guys serving serving on teams, making Sundays happen, leading small groups, running courses, helping with projects. You know, you know that we believe that everyone gets to play around here. 
We don't pay our staff to do the ministry. You know that, don't you? You get that. We pay our staff to give them time to free them up to lead and to equip and effectively grow the leadership community. And our leadership community has probably 60, 70 people here. So we set a, we set a budget each year based on what we're doing and what we want to do, and your generous giving helps us to realize those goals. And if you're a taxpayer, then gift-aiding the money helps it go a little further. And as I said at the beginning, we're an incredibly generous church in so many ways. Throughout the last few years of financial turmoil in the world, our income has remained really consistent. But if you're part of this church and you haven't made a regular financial commitment, then I just want to encourage you to take that challenge seriously today. I wonder even if you are, if you've you've reviewed your giving recently, have you had a pay rise? Have your financial circumstances changed? And so very simply and practically, um, one of the things I'd love you to do from today, if you're stirred by this or you're thinking that God is talking to you, is just to take one of our finance forms. I have a bunch here, and there are some on the Connect desk as well um, at the back. I'm just going to put them here. You can come and take one. Um, If you're married, please discuss it together. If you can, gift aid it. Gift aid it if you can. And please, and hear me on this, only give what you feel the Lord is asking you to give. I'll say it again. I'm not doing this talk because we're desperate for money. We want everyone to experience the blessings that come with giving regularly and consistently so that we can partner with God, the kingdom can grow, and God can do what he wants to do here. There's no arm twisting. Give cheerfully, give freely, or don't give. It's an issue between you and God. The last thing I want to say is about this. Last September, we um, invited you to give over and above our regular income towards our Building for the Future project. And next week, I'm going to give you a full update on how that's going, where we're at. If you weren't here then or you've forgotten, I will remind you what the vision is and what we're trying to do with uh, the building here. We are coming up to a critical time when we're going to be invited to pray as well over the next few weeks um, because, you know, it's looking like building could get started by the autumn, um, which is really exciting. So if you haven't yet had the chance to be part of that or if your circumstances have changed, then it's still possible to buy into that vision. But let me make that clear. That is over and above what we give to the local church. The Bible says, first, just give regularly and consistently, and then ask God, what else? Is there anything else? So just to recap from today, why do we give to the local church? Because regular giving is a basic sacrifice, because it leads to regular blessings, and because it's a way, it represents our consistent commitment to what God's doing, saying, I'm in. I am part of this thing. I'm here. Why don't you stand and let's pray? Father, thank you for your incredible blessings towards us. Lord, the truth is, as we've already sung this morning, we can never outgive the giver. So, Holy Spirit, we just we want to, I want to thank you for the generosity that we see represented in this church community. I want to thank you for the many years of faithful commitment sacrifice, giving over and above that represents the work of the kingdom here in Winchester Vineyard and beyond. I want to thank you for people who've been here, who've regularly given of their income to facilitate ministry. 
I want to thank you for those who give into special projects. I want to thank you for the building that we're in and the blessing, the incredible blessing that that represents to us and the way it enables us to just continue to do all that God is calling us to do. And Lord, I want to thank you for all the money that's already been given today and this year and that that's been promised. And I want to thank you that there are people here who already know what's going to be going out of their bank account next month and the month after because of their faithfulness. And Holy Spirit, I just simply want to ask you to quicken to us if there's anything you want us to do today. Where you want us to respond to this particular challenge, Lord, where, are, where we just need to review our circumstances, where perhaps we have been more blessed and we haven't yet caught up with that on our giving. There's no... There's no arm twisting here. But Father, just reveal to us again your heart of generosity and show us how you would have us respond. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you and we bless you. And now I just pray that your spirit would fall on us. Just come, Holy Spirit. And all around the room as I'm looking, I'm seeing the Holy Spirit resting on people. Because this seems like a really intensely practical subject, but it's incredibly spiritual. There is no, there is no divide. No, where, where we decide what we're going to give in our hearts. And God loves cheerful givers. I'm also aware as I'm looking around that there are people for whom this whole area is a struggle. And maybe even you don't feel like you have hope in, your, in the area of finances today. And if that's the case, then we would love to pray for you because that just isn't the truth, as Chris said earlier. So Holy Spirit, rest on us and challenge us and speak to us. We, pray. we welcome you here. We welcome you here. If we could have the band back, please. In a minute, we're going to ask you to come forward if you would like to. I think there are a number of areas that Nigel's highlighted that would be great to pray for. Uh, we've run over a little bit over. If you have children, a great, this would be a great time to go and get them, but also um, bring them back and get some prayer in just a minute. But um, what I would love to do is pray for people who are feeling that kind of hopelessness around money. Like As soon as you heard the talk was on money, your, your stomach's thinking, oh my goodness, this is an area that I really need to sort out. It's an area of stress and anxiety. And I really felt God wanted to take away that anxiety uh, from you today. So, you know, there, there is hope. That's the main message I got. So I would encourage you to, in a minute, when I call you, just to come forward and someone will pray for you. Um, the other thing is, is if you feel challenged in this area, but you're frightened of it, frankly, maybe you aren't someone who is on a secure income, maybe you do run your own business and you're not sure how that fits with tithing. Uh, I think that there are some people here who just feel a bit of fear. Maybe it's not that, but maybe it's a different issue. But if you have fear in this and you just want God to help you, I'd encourage you again to come forward in a minute and we'll pray for you. And also, Paul Phillips is um, going to northern Iraq. He's allowed, he said that I'm allowed to share where he's going. Uh, he can't tell you any more details. He's going to northern Iraq this week. Um, if you would like to pray for him, he's going to be over the, this side at the front. It would be great to get a crowd of people just praying for him. 
You know, it's not the safest area of the world, so I'd encourage you to do that. Also, and maybe as part of your response to this, you might just want to take a leaflet and just have a think about it. That's totally fine as well. And if you have any other needs you'd like prayer for, do please come forward. So come forward now, and if you're a member of this church and you've been released to pray for people, I'd encourage you to also come forward, and we can pray for people now. The band are just going to pray quietly, and um, we'd love to pray for you. So do come forward if you would like to. Keep coming, guys. Just keep making your way forward. That's fine. There's plenty of space. There's plenty of space and there's plenty of time to respond. God is here. Now God is here. Yeah, I had, had this picture at the beginning, but um, it just seems really relevant. I just had a picture of a guy on a unicycle and like um, one of those clever people. He was throwing up hoops. He had like three, more, at least three hoops. He was throwing up at the same time and the ball had to go through all the hoops even though they were at different heights and it was just like an impossible task but just kind of tied in with what Chris was saying at the beginning that nothing is impossible with God and if you feel like some, there's loads of things that actually need to line up for something to happen God I just I just feel that that might be few, might be financially might not be financially um, but those things can just line up in an amazing way and God can do it so do continue to come forward if you'd like to there's plenty of time and plenty of space here for us to pray for you so there is time and space and whatever God is doing whether you're at the front or whether you're just in the chairs just respond to what the Lord is doing the guys are going to lead us in some worship gently you may just want to continue to worship you may want to grab a finance form from the front or from the back. Um, and you may want to just receive. Bless you guys, that is the end of the service. That is our formal end. So we're going to continue to pray and worship and we'll see you soon. There's a service here tonight at six. And then we'll be back next week, normal time. Have a great week. Bless you.